Well, good morning, everybody. It is so good to see you here. For those worshiping online, we welcome you as well. And this morning, we are starting a new seven-week series, Ready, Set, Grow Practices to Help You Flourish with God. And throughout this series, we're going to touch upon some spiritual disciplines that we can incorporate into our lives to help us grow in our relationship with God and with one another. You know, if we want to grow in our relationship with God and with one another, and I hope we all do, then we need to know that it's not going to happen by accident. It just doesn't happen haphazardly. There's a flow to it, not to be confused with flow from up here. There's a cycle. There's a rhythm that's involved with growing in our relationship with God and with one another. Many of you have been through our 10-week rooted experience. And during that experience, you got to, to learn about the rhythms of rooted. And so throughout the next seven weeks, we're going to talk about some of the rhythms that will help us to grow with God and with one another. And we're going to talk about rhythms including freedom from strongholds. We'll talk about that next week, and it's going to be a powerful week. So we look forward to seeing you next week. Freedom from strongholds. We'll talk about the, the rhythm of serving the community and what that looks like to be in there, in the midst of the community, and to serve the community. We'll talk about the rhythm of sacrificial giving. We'll talk about the rhythm of prayer. We'll talk about the rhythm of daily devotion with God. We'll also talk about a very exciting rhythm, the rhythm of what it means to share your story with others. We all have stories. God has given us stories. In fact, he's written our stories for us, and he wants us to share our stories with others. And I'm excited because Throughout this series, you're going to hear from a number of our leaders and members of our church. They're going to come up here, and they're going to share about those rhythms. And so, personally, I just can't wait. I can't wait to sit there and listen and to grow together in Christ as we learn about these rhythms. You'll hear from our leaders. You'll hear from an elder. You'll hear from a church member. It's going to be fantastic. And today, we kick off our series with a rhythm that maybe we're not as, uh, I don't know, familiar with, but it certainly is part of our lives. And the title of my message is The Rhythm of Celebration. The Rhythm of Celebration. Celebration is important. It's important for us to get into the habit of celebrating. You know, many people, they listen to music when they work out, right? And you can't talk about rhythm without talking about music. Most people think it's much more effective when I work out to music, right? You turn up that music, right? And when you start to move to the rhythm of the beat, then your heart starts pumping, your blood starts circulating, the muscles start contracting. And when you're done with that workout or that run or that swim or that bike ride or whatever your favorite form of exercise is, don't you feel good? You feel great. You might not feel good doing it, but afterwards you feel great. And music often helps us. Ever since I got into uh, distance running, I've become fascinated with this whole subject of rhythm. I've been studying a lot about rhythm. 
and cycles and patterns. But you don't need to like running to know the importance of rhythm in your life, right? If you pull an all-nighter, at some point during the next day, you're going to feel it. You're going to feel miserable. You're going to hit the wall because our bodies, they like rhythm. They need rhythm. You know, people who visit or work in the polar regions, the Arctic or the Antarctic, it takes them a long time to adjust because their bodies aren't used to that strange rhythm. In the polar regions, in the winter, it's always dark. In the summer, it's continuous daylight. And our bodies, they just don't adjust well. They don't like that type of rhythm, right? You know, that's why casinos have no windows, right? They don't want you to know when it's time to go to sleep. And they don't want you to know when it's time to wake up and go to work. So they just want to mess with your rhythm. But our bodies, they want that rhythm. They crave rhythm. Rhythms are so essential to life that the smartest man on earth at that time, when he lived, King Solomon, he talked about rhythms. He talked about the metaphor of rhythms and seasons. And he compared that to life here on earth. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes 3. We'll look at verses 1 through 4. Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 4. And we'll see how Solomon talks about rhythms. And he calls them seasons, these cycles of life. He says this, starting in verse 1, For everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Now, what is Solomon saying here? He's saying here, that life on earth can be divided into seasons. Now, granted, here in Southern California, we don't experience some of the extremes that other regions experience, right? Here in Southern California, when it dips below 50, we're like, oh no, the world's coming to an end, right? What are we going to do? But still, in Southern California, it gets cold in the winter, especially where I live, way out in the IE in the flatlands, with no protection. It gets cold out there. And in the summer, it is hot. If you live here in Diamond Bar, it's luxury here. In the flatlands of the IE, we burn. And so we have extremes, even here in Southern California. Some of you, right now, might be experiencing a season of discomfort, of pain, of grieving, of mourning. But some, you might be experiencing goodness, seasons of bright hope, exciting things going on in your life. Things are going well. Maybe you got a raise, a new job. Maybe you have a new endeavor you're taking part of, and things are exciting. That's wonderful. We all have seasons. In fact, this is the perfect opportunity for me to share the good news that we've added to our E-Free Church family. This past Monday, 
baby Arya, Jean Esparza, was born. She was born to her mother, Stephanie, and to her father, Michael. That was on Monday evening. Now, last Sunday, Michael and Stephanie were here at church, and they wanted to get here before Stephanie gave birth, and they thought, oh, they made it in plenty of time because baby Aria wasn't supposed to be due until like August 22nd. So Stephanie and Michael were here last Sunday. On Monday, the next day, boom, Aria said, I'm out of here, and it's time to be born. And so we can celebrate with the Esparzas because babies are a cause for celebration, aren't they? Grandparents celebrate their grandkids. Babies are always a cause for celebration. You know, in some cultures, like in the Korean culture, when a baby turns one, the parties can be quite elaborate. Most of these parties are to the scale of weddings. I mean, they are that big and elaborate. When I was doing photography, many of my clients were parents who would hire me to photograph their kid's first birthday party. But it wasn't about just me showing up with a camera and taking a few pictures on the day of the event. It often started weeks before the actual party. And so we would schedule a photo shoot for the baby. And it would often turn into an entire family portrait session. So I would take the family to the beach or to the park or to some cool urban setting, and we'd have an entire two-hour like engagement session. That's what it felt like. It was a whole photo shoot for the family. And then from there, the parents would select all the pictures, but they'd choose one portrait of the birthday boy or girl. And then we'd enlarge it, put it in a beautiful frame, and then would set it on an easel on the day of the party at the banquet hall or this nice, expensive restaurant. And they would invite all their friends. And we're talking... Most of these parties were 100, 200, 300 people at a one-year-old's birthday party. And then when you walked into this banquet hall or this restaurant, you'd see this beautiful head table, and you'd see the birthday boy or girl dressed in this bright, colorful, traditional Korean outfit. Here, take a look. This is a traditional Korean outfit. Look at that little king. I mean, he's a little king. And behind him, you have a head table with all kinds of elaborate foods and decorations. Here, here's another head table. This is for a one-year-old. A one-year-old. And then the parents would often hire entertainment, whether it be a puppeteer, a magician, a balloon artist. Here, take a look at this. This family hired this man who came and he entertained the kids for like hours, just putting them inside, well, soap and water. <laughs> and then here's a typical cake at a one-year-old birthday party. You can see why they wanted to hire a photographer to document this celebration. 
Now, some of you might be thinking, who would go to all the trouble and spend all that money on a birthday that the kid will have no recollection of? Maybe this will put things into perspective. Centuries ago, the death rate amongst children in Korea was high. Many children did not see their first birthday. So when a child celebrated his or her first birthday, it was a milestone. But not only for the child, and not only for the family, but for the entire village. All the neighbors, and I'm talking all the neighbors, would bring over a dish to the birthday boy or girl's house. And they'd celebrate together. And they'd wish the boy or girl long life, a healthy life, because he or she had reached a milestone that many kids did not reach. By the way, there's a a very fascinating custom that's done at every first birthday party for a Korean boy or girl. Take a look here. At some point during the party, some objects are placed on a mat, and then the parents will sit the boy or girl down several feet away, and then that boy or girl will start to crawl toward those objects. And whichever object the baby grabs first is what that baby will be or do when he or she grows up. So the first object is often a bowl of rice. That symbolizes the fact that this boy or girl will never grow hungry, will never go hungry in life. The second object is like this ball of yarn or string. If the boy or girl grabs this string, that signifies long life. In some cultures, right, with noodles, when you eat noodles, you eat long noodles, which symbolize long life. The third object, oftentimes the parents would place a sports object, an item, a baseball, a football. In this case, the parents want their kid to be a golfer, a pro golfer. All right. And then the next object, well, pencils. If the kid grabs the pencils, they'll be an academic. How about the next one? Well, the next one's self-explanatory. That's a $100 bill, okay? If the kid grabs that $100 bill, the baby's going to be rich. And the final one, well, a stethoscope. And a lot of parents hope their kid will become a doctor. The birth of a child, a baby's first birthday, a bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, quinceanera, or any milestone birthday is caused for celebration. We celebrate that which is important in our lives and in the lives of our loved ones. You know, at the same time, we also know that there are those who 
have not yet had the privilege of celebrating such an occasion, maybe due to infertility, maybe miscarriage, possibly a stillbirth. There are families here at our church who've experienced that kind of pain. If you or a loved one are in a season of such pain, we want you to know that we have a ministry here at our church. And the team that makes up this ministry, they want you to know that there's a place for you here at our church, a safe place, a safe place where you can go and find support, find connection, and find empathy. I encourage you to go to our website. When you go to our website, you'll see a ministry page. Go to Next Steps, and on that tab, you'll see Care and Support Groups. Click on that tab, and you'll see our Infertility, Miscarriage, and Stillbirth Support Group. Click that link, find out more about it, and I encourage you, reach out to the members of that team. They want you to know that we care, and we want to care with you and for you. Now, we have seasons in our lives where there will be tears, but there will also be seasons of laughter. Solomon says there will be times of mourning, but there will also be times of dancing. Sometimes we are so burdened by life that we can't even fall asleep at night. I want you to know that that's okay because those seasons will come. We've all faced them. But God doesn't want us to stay in those seasons forever and ever. He wants to turn our mourning into dancing. So yes, church, you heard it from your pastor, it's okay to dance. You, it's okay to dance. You know, the Bible has so much to say about dance. Let me just show you three verses in the Psalms that talk about dancing. The psalmist says in Psalm 30, verse 11, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth. In Psalm 149, verse 3, it says, let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. In Psalm 150, Verse 4, it says, Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Now, here's the common thread to all these verses. The common thread is the connection between dancing and celebrating God. When we celebrate God, what we're doing is we are giving an expression of worship. Now, we don't want to make the mistake of thinking that uh, the act in and of itself of dancing always equates to worshiping God. Okay? So don't make that mistake. At times, we will worship God through dance. We saw that on Easter Sunday. We had a team of dancers in our parking lot who were creatively worshiping God through the expression of dance. And so we can worship God through the expression of dance. In that case, dance is a celebration. Other times we might be dancing, but it might not necessarily be worshiping God. Now, here on a Sunday morning, 
when the music gets going and we start to clap, hopefully on the right beat, And then when we start to raise our hands, then you know what sometimes happens? The hips follow. And the shoulders, they kind of get loose. And I want you to know that that's okay. It's okay. If the Spirit says, move your hips, move your hips. Okay? And I know, here at our church, okay, sometimes we have people, you know, with all forms of expression, okay? But I want you to know this. You might worship God through a very expressive body language, and that's wonderful. Just don't think that the person next to you who's standing like this, like a British soldier, British soldier in front of the palace, okay, is not worshiping God too, okay? You can both be worshiping God in very different expressions, okay? The thought is this. We're not all wired the same. So if you feel like, you know, God's calling you to worship in a certain way, worship that way. Okay? Don't feel embarrassed. Don't feel inhibited. But just know this. We're all wired differently. We have introverts. We have extroverts. We have people who love to color inside the lines, right? And if you go outside the lines, you stress out. Others, you think, oh, lines are just suggestions, right? <laughs> and you like to go outside those lines, that's wonderful. We have people whose closets are perfectly tidy, and others who, well, you can't tell when the closet ends and the room starts, right? And just everywhere. We're not all wired the same, and that's okay. That's part of the beauty of God's design. But did you know that there's one commonality that we all share? And I'm not talking just about Christians here. There's one commonality that everybody who's ever walked the face of this earth shares. And that commonality is this. We all have a built-in desire to worship. We've all been created to worship. Now, unfortunately, some have confused that so that they worship the creation and not the creator. But we've all been wired to worship. And this involves the whole sum of our lives. That's why it's important for us to get into the rhythm of celebrating God and celebrating what he's done for us. You know, we can look back at the last 17 months and go, oh, wow, it's a forgetful season. I remember uh, earlier this year in January, you know, after the new year, people, you know, they, they talk about the previous year. They're like, I'm just so done with 2020. No. I don't think that that's the right perspective. We can look back with fondness with how God used even the most difficult of situations to bring glory to himself, to grow and stretch us. We should never be done with something. We can always grow from it. And that's why we can even go back and celebrate all the good things we got to experience. And yes, in a very difficult season. And that we're still in that season now. You know, for the past 17 months, people have come up with creative ways 
to celebrate special occasions. I remember at the end of last school year, so we're talking like the spring of 2020, we started to see all these lawn signs pop up in front yards. Class of 2020, congratulations, all over our neighborhoods. Class of 2020, we had one in our front yard because Amanda was graduating from high school. Class of 2020. And also, did you notice these signs, these uh, happy birthday signs, they spelled them out, big H-A-P-P-Y, birthday. It took up the entire lawn because people wanted to know that somebody in that household was celebrating something big and they didn't want to keep it to themselves. And they wanted the world in their front yard to see and to celebrate together with them. Sports teams, of course, they know how to celebrate. When you win the Super Bowl, the World Series, any championship, it's usually followed by a championship parade. And hundreds of thousands of people, sometimes millions of people, line the streets to celebrate because sports and celebration, they go hand in hand. Now, many of you know that I'm a big baseball fan. Some of you know that I'm a huge Angels fan. By the way, it's been a long drought for the Angels. It's been a long, long drought. For you Dodgers fans, congratulations again for last year. Congratulations. For the Angels, our one and only World Series took place in 2002. That's a long time ago. That's like nearly 20 years ago. But I got to tell you, I have fond memories of that celebration in 2002. It's been a long time, but I still reflect with fond memories. You know, the night that the Angels clinched the World Series, my inbox was flooded by all these congratulatory emails to me because all my friends knew that I was a lifelong, long-suffering Angels fan. And so right when the Angels won the World Series in 2002, Tim, congratulations. I'm so happy for you. As if, like, I played, right? But that's how much I had suffered for all those years. And so that night I had so many emails from all my friends. And I remember that season, we got to go to a couple playoff games. We went to the game when the Angels clinched against the Yankees in the first round of playoffs. And I had never heard Angel Stadium as loud as that day. Back then, they had these thunder sticks, okay? And you'd pound them together, and it would be deafening. And so Joanne and I went to the game when the Angels clinched against the Yankees. Uh, We dropped off Andrew at someone's house to be babysat. He was two years old. And so we sent him off. But Amanda was six weeks old, so she was free. (laughs) And so at six weeks old, she sat in a baby Bjorn, a baby carrier, right here on my chest. For the entire game, I had her strapped to my chest in the baby Bjorn. And it was so loud that for most of the game, I had my hands cupped over her ears. It was that deafening. Here, take a look. Look at cute Amanda. I don't know who that guy is, though. Who's that guy? Who stole my baby? But it was a packed stadium. 
And there she was in the baby Bjorn the entire time with my hands just cupped over her precious little ears. So we won against the Yankees, and then the Angels won against the Twins the next series, which meant it was time for the World Series against the San Francisco Giants. And I got to go to game two of that World Series when Tim Salmon hit two home runs. I went with my younger brother and our best friend, and we stood there the entire game. We did not sit down the entire game. And I almost had to go to the emergency room because I was jumping up and down, screaming so hard, I almost cracked a rib. I mean, that is how much fun we had celebrating that victory. After the Angels won the World Series in 2002, one week later, we went to the championship parade. We actually went to the parade. Joanne, Amanda, and I went to the parade, which ended inside the stadium, and we sat there with everybody cheering. And then shortly after that, we took a family trip up to the Bay Area. And we stayed at a hotel. We loved staying up there in the Marin County area. So we were staying at a hotel up there in Marin County. One morning, we went down to the lobby and down to the breakfast area for breakfast. We sat down, we got our food, I said, honey, that man over there in that table, he's the angel's broadcaster, Rex Hudler. And I was like, wow, I got to go say hi to him. <laughs> so I went up to Rex Hudler. I introduced myself and my family. And I said, Mr. Hudler, we were there at the championship parade, and you emceed it. So I told him everything he wanted to know about the Angels, because I was the biggest Angels fan. And we took a picture with Rex Hudler, and there we are. <laughs> in the restaurant of our hotel, and Rex Hudler was there in the Bay Area to do some voiceovers, voiceover for a video uh, game company. And so he was also a former Angels player, and at that time was the Angels color commentator. And so we sat and chatted for a while. Then afterwards, uh, we said our goodbyes. And he went his way, we went our way, we had a great day inside the city. Afterwards, we got back to the hotel, and I said, honey, there's Rex again. <laughs> He's probably thinking I'm stalking him or something, but I saw him in the lobby, and so we started talking. We kept talking and talking. And I said, honey, maybe you and the kids, you could just go upstairs. So they went into our hotel room, and I sat in the lobby talking with Rex Hudler for like an hour and a half. And I had actually known a lot about him. I knew that he was a Christian. I also knew that he had an incredible testimony. He had a brain aneurysm. One of his children had Down syndrome. I also learned that we were uh, neighbors. We lived in the same city in Tustin. And so we kept talking and talking. And of course, throughout the conversation, he asks, oh, Tim, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a pastor. And so we kept talking and talking. And at the end of the conversation, before I was to go up to the, my room, he goes, Tim, how many nights are you staying here at the hotel? I said, four nights. He goes, I hope you don't mind if I say this, but I'd like to pick up your hotel bill. 
house. I couldn't believe that gesture. He wanted to pick up my hotel bill. Now, we had prepaid through Hotwire, so I was like, oh. <laughs> but nevertheless, that kind gesture of wanting to pick up our hotel bill. The next morning, we went down to breakfast, and sure enough, we saw him again. But this time, he came with an angel's hat for Andrew. And he signed it for Andrew with a Bible verse. And so we made our way home. On our way home, I get a voicemail on my phone. It's from Rex Hudler. He's like, Tim, I just wanted to let you know we had such a great, I had such a great time talking with you. I wish you the best. God bless your church, your ministry. And I was thinking back to that. I was like, wow. I, I thought back to that with fondness because of the, the common bond that we shared, of course, in the angels, and celebrating a World Series, but of course, our common bond in Christ. By the way, in case you don't know, the angels right now, they have the most incredible player in the history of the game, and that is no exaggeration in Shohei Otani, okay? He's doing things that we've not seen in over 100 years, okay? He had another home run last night, by the way. And so, uh, but hopefully he'll bring us a World Series sometime soon before too long. I'm getting old, all right? Come on, Shohei. If you're here in one of our groups at church, maybe a life group, an adult Bible fellowship, a men's, women's group, a prayer group, this week I encourage you to take some time. The next time your group gathers, carve out some time and share stories of celebration. Because it's important to share and get into the rhythm of it. Sometimes we just share prayer requests, and those are great. Those are important. But oftentimes they're very heavy, aren't they? We need to actually balance that out with, well, we have a fancy theological term for it. It's called praise report. But a praise report is just simply a celebration. We're celebrating what God is doing in our lives. And so I encourage you, when you share prayer requests, also share stories of celebration because we want to know what God is doing in your life. I want to leave you with this. In the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, we learn of something called the year of Jubilee. The word jubilee, it literally means ram's horn in Hebrew. The year of jubilee is a sabbatical year. And this year, it comes after seven cycles of seven years. Forty-nine years. Seven cycles of seven years, and the 50th year is a year of jubilee. This 50th year, it begins with the blowing of the ram's horn. And the 50th year signifies universal 
redemption. In the year of Jubilee, all debts were forgiven. Wouldn't that be great for your mortgages? School loans? Yes. All debts were forgiven in the year of Jubilee. All the prisoners and captives were set free. Slaves were released. All property was returned to its original owner. And by the way, all work stopped for a year. No labor. Could you imagine getting paid for a year off? That'd be wonderful, huh? But the idea was this. In the year of Jubilee, both the land and the people would experience rest. The year of Jubilee represents the beautiful picture of redemption and forgiveness. Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, hung on the cross to forgive us, to redeem us, to give cause for celebration. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have the privilege of celebrating the most important, the most amazing, the most unforgettable occasion. And that's our salvation. We're no longer in bondage to sin. The year of Jubilee gives us the ability to enter into God's rest. So my prayer for you today and for this coming week is that you will reflect on God's goodness in your life. Maybe with your group this week, take some time and share stories of celebration, specifically in the last 17 months. In some of the most difficult times, share stories of celebration because it's important for us to get into that rhythm. Would you bow with me? Father, I thank you so much for celebration. Thank you for the rhythm of celebration. Father, I pray, God, for my friends here this morning. Father, those who need hope, I pray that you would bring hope. Those who are in despair, I pray, God, that you would shine your light on them today. Father, God, for those who are stressed out, and feeling anxious. God, would you bring them a peace that surpasses all understanding. For those who are feeling overwhelmed because of the cares of life, God, would you give them rest tonight. Father, for those who cannot sleep, Father, bring them sleep tonight. Father, God, for those who, uh, who are feeling uh, down and weary, God, would you bring them memories of goodness. Father, I pray for my friends here this morning, God that we would understand the importance of the rhythm of celebration. Yes, life is difficult. Yes, life has its challenges. We all have burdens to carry, God. But I pray that we would balance those out and recall all the good things you're doing in our lives. Thank you for the goodness you're doing in our church. Father, we love you. We thank you. We celebrate you today. And all God's people said, amen.